Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Dan Payne, an actor you may have seen in Alice, I Think, Watchmen, Strange Empire, or The Cabin in the Woods. He recently appeared in DC's Legends of Tomorrow as the Justice Society hero Obsidian, and he plays Wadget, the security officer to Idris Elba's villainous Krull, in Justin Lin's Star Trek Beyond, released on Blu-ray and DVD just last week. Dan picked Seven Psychopaths, Martin McDonough's 2012 comedy of errors about a screenwriter named Marty, played by Colin Farrell, who finds himself distracted from an epic case of writer's block when he's embroiled in a complex web of crime involving multiple murders, gangsters, and a stolen dog. With a cast that includes Sam Rockwell, Christopher Walken, Woody Harrelson, Gabriel Sidibe, Olga Kurylenko, Harry Dean Stanton, and Abby Cornish, it's a caper movie like few others, even if it feels like it's like a lot of them. Oh, incidentally, the title of the play that I can't remember two minutes into the conversation is A Behanding in Spokane. This is someone else's movie. Character, character, character. Um, I love certain certain actors transform and it doesn't matter what they do they transform and take you on almost a molecular level to the character and the mentality and the mind frame and the demeanor and the I mean all those words that came up before but I use them because they matter if you create a full and complete character then we go we go with you we go on the ride with you if and that means flaws too like to be flawed but in a way that is specific to the character the environment who that person is and Sam Rockwell is I find him, I find him intoxicating that way. Like he's a genius. Yeah. To play the <laughs> the character in, in Seven Psychopaths with the quirks and the demented twists that he had, but with like they were, it was normal for him. Yeah. He, he, that was a normal. That was life. That was just life. Yeah. He manages he, to make all the layering seem effortless and free of judgment. You know, he never judged it, so we don't. Yeah, and then you watch it, and you're like, I that should I should be judging that. My moral fiber is telling me that's not right. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson, I think he's getting better and better. Every film he does, he seems to be finding a new and deeper way to present his characters. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And Christopher Walken's a classic. I mean, yeah. there's this just. I was going to say what what amazes me the most about the film is how tightly scripted it is and mm. how cast it is it's not that he it's wrote cast it. right like yeah. it, it's, it was that he didn't write it for those people though I mean he I interviewed Rockwell and Walken together uh, at TIFF that year which is like one of the greatest 20 minutes I've oh ever God. had that's uh, phenomenal yeah because uh, I just wanted to ask Rockwell about Galaxy Quest yeah. and Walken's like what's that and so Rockwell starts telling him the entire story of Galaxy Quest acting out all the parts in the space of three minutes and I'm like this is the best day whatever else happens this is the best day uh, and Rockwell said that he and Walken had done a play for McDonough they'd done one of his plays the uh, a beheading a behanding um, and of course the title just flew out of my hand but it's the one with beha- uh, behanding in it and so McDonough approached them for the roles but I don't think he had planned on casting anybody else but everybody in it is perfectly cast. It's, exactly. Yeah. And, and the script existed before that. He wasn't writing to them. And there was very little pays, that, To me, that pays respect to, to both the writing and the people cast. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it proves that you can have great writing and it will translate yeah. if you hire talented people. 
I mean, sometimes you take amazing cast members and they improve on the writing or they take the character to a whole other level because of their talent. But that there was something about Seven Psychopaths, and I, I found it to be an intelligent movie with a had a, it had so much to say and so much subtlety and so many layers, but you didn't have to fill in the blanks. Like I like to watch something. Don't get me wrong. I like to drool on myself when I'm watching TV <laughs> and just be completely taken on a ride and not have to be present hardly. Especially with comedies, I love to laugh. I love the relax and the and the, the escapist notion of just having a good time and, and letting go. Sure. But Seven Psychopaths, I felt like I was so carried on that journey by their performances, by this the tight script that it was effortless. I got to watch it. It was an effortless watch. And then I was, and then I was, I was so we're inspired mm-hmm. by those performances to find that level of, uh, for lack of a better word, in to their characters. Right. That when they injected themselves into that world, it was complete. When it's not complete, our brain, our brain has to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And a lot of movies, I don't know if they get released too soon or they don't get enough drafts or. You can't get the person you ideally want for the role, but they get somebody who's really talented. And then you... It's like that weird writing thing. Like, if you if you see two ands, if it's put in a certain way, your brain just skips over the second end. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think when we're watching, if there's gaps in a movie, if it's good enough or if we want to enjoy it enough that we fill in the blanks and we skip the gaps. And what I loved about Seven Psychopaths is that I could almost sit there like the drool on myself version because I was so deftly carried through the whole thing that I could just experience it for its awesomeness yeah yeah and and then at the end of it be blown away by how okay I was with the demented aspects and the twisted notion of yeah it, yeah it takes you to some place I mean it tells you it's going to go there that's the thing that I, I really unapologetic about what McDonough does he doesn't pretend that he is creating high art, but he actually is. Uh, that he makes no pretense for everybody. It's, yeah. I don't, it's, and then says, you know, like, don't be so shocked. We knew this was going to happen. This was, this is always where the story was going to go. It wasn't going to end. I mean, it does end happily, but it, it wasn't going to end triumphantly necessarily. Right. Um, we opened with this long single take where two people are just randomly murdered, except that it isn't, and then there's a reason. And just that that great opening sequence that has really nothing to do with the rest of the film except that it does um, it's that Tarantino trick I think that's the why tone, he gets yeah, yeah exactly he's tonally luring you yeah it's a lure it's a, it's a great oh, I, I'm glad we're talking about this film and I've chose this film because as much as I've loved it I've never really processed it okay you know so I, I've always I've known that Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson and Walken and all of those guys did their job to a level where I'm like I want to get to a place in my game where I can where I can do that I won't, that's that's the level of, of uh, performance and professionalism and all the aspects that make that performance that great I want to find those in my own game so that that if I'm ever called on for that depth or that level of care or no actually no for everything and anything I do mm-hmm. let's be honest anytime I'm ever on camera I want to be able to find the complete absolute the completeness and the fullness of that character but I never really processed it. I just appreciated it yeah. for its entirety. Well, I think that's perfectly fine too. I mean, there's nothing like there's nothing that says you need to pick a movie apart and deconstruct it. I guess I well, see the Matrix made me. Oh yeah, the Matrix made me de- deconstruct 
my perspective on life and what does and doesn't matter and how we operate and are are we missing something and am I living my life properly or am I a battery or you know like mm-hmm. that one made me think and I de- and it wasn't so much about the movie except for I'm, I was grateful it was done well enough it was done very well mm-hmm. but I went away thinking about the so the metaphor is what yeah that's what so I read the book you know read it which pill would you you know right. I read the book because and it was no longer about the movie per se whereas Seven Psychopaths I'm addicted to the movie yeah I'm addicted to the the high art, the story, the characters, the performance. I, I want to watch the movie again. The Matrix, I don't need to watch it so much again because it asked the questions and it caused me to delve into that right dialogue, was, that yeah. uh, that rhetoric. It was your inciting incident. Like you could go out from it. Exactly. But Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And but Seven Psychopaths is more like a toy. I mean, it's just there to be played with. It, it doesn't have any secrets inside. It's just so much fun to play with the puzzle. But every time you look at the toy, oh, there's a new angle to the. T- there's something. Yeah. It is so full that every time I watch it, I get another rise. I get another experience yeah, from yeah. it. Well, it is this kind of remarkable serpentine uh, narrative of three, I guess, three narrative frames. There's the thing that is the screenplay, there's the person writing the screenplay, and then there's the adventure that happens around the person writing the thing. But where, I mean, it seems like it's only two things, but I think there is a third level. I think that the, the audience engagement, that our awareness that we are watching a piece of created narrative is the third thing. And that's like the, the fun new layer that you get to play with that most movies leave out. Yeah. Because they're there to be consumed and they don't count on you. You know, Christopher Nolan does it in The Prestige, but he does it with that big thumb on the scale kind of thing. Like, are you watching closely? Are you sure you're seeing Yeah, to ask. It's like the wink. You know, Mm -hmm. like in comedy, sometimes the wink helps the comedy and sometimes it steals the laughter. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you sometimes if you wink, you're laughing for us and then we don't get the laugh. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between making a reference and actually crafting... Yeah, yeah. Like no, I'm not taking any for anything away from prestige, but oh yeah, no, no. It, but it simply is. But I love you that there's a that there's a structure that you have to pay attention to, and Seven Psychopaths just starts. Yeah, which you know, it's always more fun. Uh, for I think me, anyway. to, yeah, I mean, an hour into the movie to sort of be hit with this realization that oh, this is also this. Like that's fun. Yeah. Um, the guest is the one that I, I make an example of uh, the the. Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett thriller from a couple of years back with Dan Stevens and Micah Monroe. The whole movie sets itself up as this fun little homage to John Carpenter movies, but then around 80 minutes in, it tells you exactly which John Carpenter movie it, it is, and it's so much fun to just have that moment land. Yeah. Um, and you know, like you either get it instantly and you're giggling, or it still <laughs> works as what it is. Which well, that's is, the craft. Like, yeah, there's a great movie. craft. Yeah, that's well crafted. That if you don't get it, you still get the ride. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I love it when movies do that. And Seven Psychopaths has a way of sort of beguiling you with all these eccentric performances and all these characters and what's Tom Waits doing with the rabbit and why is that happening? (laughs) And all this stuff is flying back and forth. And then every now and then it will just hit you with this hook of... It's not even a hook. I don't know what it is. It's like a button hook where two things become stitched into one thing. It's like a... I mean... You know the human. For me, the human. Like it's like a you're boxing, boxing match. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're dodging all the jabs because you know, like I can't. I shouldn't. Oh, and then you just don't see the hit mm-hmm. coming, and then you're like, oh, God, okay, you got me. You tagged yeah. me. I get it. So, uh, what was your first experience of it? Did you see it in the theater? Did you catch up to it on disc? I yeah, I caught up to it on disc, and it was. Uh, I think we started talking about this. I don't even have cable. Okay. I know that probably sounds weird for an actor, but I don't have cable. 
I have Netflix for my kids, and then after that, I I want to read a book or watch a movie because someone, because I'm intrigued by either seeing a a trailer or hearing about it, or a friend goes, "Hey, have you seen this movie? You got to see this movie." And then we talk about it. And not that I, you know, there's been times when I have higher expectations, and that's probably not the best way to go into it because then it doesn't maybe meet them quite as well. But a great movie is a great movie. And a friend of mine said, "You've got to watch this movie. I think you'd love it." Uh, you keep telling me about how performances and characters and all this I think this will tweak that for you so I rented it and and watched it and even with high expectations it met and surpassed them because it is that good in my mind so yeah I watched it on DVD and my wife and I have different tastes in movies Um, so I watched this movie and I was like honey you've got to watch this movie (laughs) it is perfection it is Oh yeah, you know, I'm spewing about it. She's like, "Ah, uh, okay." And I watch it. She goes, "Yeah, it was good. It was weird, kind of off in a weird way." And I'm like, "Yeah, but isn't that wasn't wasn't it beautiful? Like, wasn't?" Yeah, I guess. I mean, she's not an actor, so that we watch for different reasons, right. so as does everyone. Yeah, industry everyone. stuff wouldn't land the same way, or right, which is fine. And she, I mean, she could respect. She did feel the same about the performances. She's like, "Those were some brilliant performances." But yeah, it's just neat to see, you know, for me, even my wife, the one person whose opinion would matter most in the world to me, watches this movie and I'm like, here it is. This is the pinnacle of movies right now for me. And uh, she's like, yeah, it's pretty good. You're like, what? It's more than pretty good, you know? So it was interesting to have a different perception. Then, it, But the movie, again, to harp on it, was so good that I'm like, I wonder why she said that. I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into it and see. And then, you, yeah, you find another part of the toy that was really cool to... Yeah. play with it is it's a hard film I found to describe because the title makes people expect a horror movie basically right. the first sequence the opening makes you expect a Tarantino movie and it's not going to do that either it just it, it is so yeah it's so aggressive it's about always refusing to be slightly off balance mm-hmm. which is amazingly fun yeah and the other bit, the thing that didn't land for me at all because I hadn't watched Boardwalk Empire yet is that Michael Stuhlbarg and Michael Pitt are in the opening scene and that just only really lands if you've seen them on the show. And See, there's something I did. Just, yeah, they're just interesting actors who I like. Yeah, yeah. But then you go and revisit or you discover Boardwalk Empire. It's like, oh, okay, that oh, hang those on. two shouldn't be together at all. That doesn't make sense. Those worlds are colliding. Right. And that again, that's a nested joke that's only there for people... And that's one I didn't get to. I have to go watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's something. Um, it's it's all those little playful gestures. It's the sort of thing that McDonough does. I think, like I think he's in the moment, just like, oh, I'll put these two together. That'll be funny. And then we're stuck with them, and it informed that little relationship. Then informs the scene in a way that it didn't before, even on the page. You think it's on the like? You think it's a that happenstance, or do you think it's a extremely well thought out? I think. I mean, you never know, right? It might have been that he cast one and they recommended the other. Yeah, um, true. But the, those weird little decisions that have to be random because you can't guarantee... Like lighting start, in a bottle, I yeah, guess. Yeah, if you start writing that scene, it's like, I'm only going to shoot this if Michael Pitt and, and Michael Stilberg Fair are together. Fair enough, yeah, You yeah, can't yeah, yeah. be sure, right? Um, we know he wanted Rockwell and, and Walken, but what if he didn't want them for those roles necessarily? What if he just wanted to find a space for Or they read it like Rockwell reads and goes, no, I don't want to be, I want to be yeah. Woody's character. Yeah. And then the whole thing flips. Exactly. Um, it's after, well, you'd seen in Bruges already, I assume. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because then you sort of... You start going up there, are you? <laughs> yeah. So you sort of know what to expect, right? You have a 
general idea oh my God. of what he'll do. But his film uh, work know, is that's so a phenomenal movie as well. Please, oh. no. Well, just the... So that was one where my dad and I connected and laughed wholeheartedly and loved every moment of, like... And a bit obscure and a bit offside. Because mm-hmm. that thing came out of nowhere. I mean, nobody... Oh, my goodness. It. It, just, yeah. it just burped into existence. It was this movie from... I mean, I remember when the word first started rumbling around film festivals. It's like, a movie from this playwright that you've never heard of was how it was how it was sold to me. And yeah. it's like, okay, what do you got? And it's just this strange, angry... It does feel more like a Tarantino riff than Seven Psychopaths that's, does. That's, yeah, it does But I think more. it's just because you're in this world of criminals on the run all the time which is essentially Reservoir Dogs so yeah. you can't get away from it but you know but, and the quick witted banter and yeah the, and the younger and older thing yeah, I mean it's Mr. Yeah, White yeah. and Mr. Orange There's, there, you yeah, can yeah. if you look cause, just because tropes work that way you can find them yeah but, true of course but what Gleason is doing and what and what Farrell is doing and then finds it's, it's just so much it's so specifically European and it's so pissy in, in a really unique way but in a way that, yeah, it was fan- I. It's funny that that came up because I absolutely love that movie too. But it, so it's European and pissy, but it's not. So I lived in London for five years, mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, the UK or the English sense of humor. I quite like Ricky Gervais. I think is is absolutely brilliant, and there's a universal nature to it. It's funny, but there's also a very British aspect to it. But that film, albeit set in in uh, that world doesn't exclude any uh, uh, audience from that mm-hmm. like somehow it brings you in and you feel like you you know it right for me absolutely by the end of the film you're completely lived in the world you, you know, like you're sympathetic so to everybody exactly and if you've never lived in that world it's not like at the end of you like oh I didn't quite get it because I'm not from there I don't I don't know that cultural thing he did really well to bring us all yeah in on it and we've all felt weirdly out of place in uh, in crappy hotels I think at least yeah. once in our lives yeah um then you pile on the extra stuff, oh, <laughs> and they, they're dealing with some issues. <laughs> uh, but even that didn't like it doesn't really show you the way into Seven Psychopaths because Seven Psychopaths is so much more sophisticated in its narrative. I mean, oh. it's got stuff going on in, on multiple levels. In Bruges, people with a secret, you can boil it down to that, and it's somewhat linear. Yeah, it's a straight line. Yeah, so you you don't you don't get you don't have to follow the bouncing ball, yeah. duck and dodge. And, yeah. Whereas, yes, you're you're using the boxing metaphor. It's like boxing inside a tilt a whirl. For yeah. certain psychopaths, is how I configure it. It just yeah, you're never balanced. I, I, but that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I, I like going on that ride, and I I don't mind. So my wife makes fun of me because when I, I'm a, a hockey fanatic, and when I watch hockey, I, she says I looks like I'm in a coma <laughs> with my eyes open because I'm okay. like staring and uh, mouth half open and just until there's something oh you know, and then I get and then back to a coma. But with that movie. She said I had this weird half grin, and I was completely engaged and present, which can tell me personally as a viewer, like, I was engaged to a level where, so hockey I can disconnect and engage, I mean, it's so strange to say, but I can connect so much to the hockey that I physically disengage. Okay. Um, but Seven Psychopaths, my brain, my body, my mind, I was right there. Because of the tilt boxing and the tilt world yeah. aspect, which I loved. So, did multiple viewings make it like so close together? Did it help you process it, or was it just the same kind of glee every time? The glee definitely won out every time. Like every time, I was like, "That is just an awesome movie," but a little different aspect. So, I'd follow one. Sam Rockwell. Sam, Sam Rockwell's performance was the first and foremost 
in right. for me. And then the next time I watched it, I, I definitely watched Woody Harrelson and Christopher Walken more because I felt so like I had f- fallen in love with Sam Rockwell's performance that I wanted to see that I caught caught watching mostly him. You know, you might right, see yeah. what I did or didn't miss by being so focused on, on Sam Rockwell's performance. And then the last one, I just tried to see how many, like if I could be more balanced in the tur- tilt-a-whirl yeah. while trying to box. And uh, and that's why this is a great conversation for me, is just to process it and hear out loud more of the thoughts that I may or may not be having. I'm shaping as we talk. Right. Oh, we're happy to provide the service. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I, I was amazed watching it the last time. I haven't seen it in a while, but the last time I watched it, I was surprised at how present Colin Farrell is because I had almost forgotten he was in it. He, he's the lead, basically. He is the storyteller. But he recedes so quickly because he's the straight man and everybody else is so much bigger and weirder and wilder. Um, Which, you know, I think so, some people think that Colin Farrell has huge ego but some I've heard okay I don't know I mean I don't know firsthand. I think he's just a phenomenally talented guy but only met him once he was very gracious yeah he yeah. seems uh, so anyway and when I watched that film one of the times I watched that film like you can't do what he did and have an ego he he did exactly what he needed to do to let the story be told in such a an immaculate way that any ego would have ruined that yeah, he can't be the center of a scene. You can't. You can't steal anything. You can't take anything because it will take away from something else, and therefore detract from the overall. Yeah. And he didn't in any way, shape, or form, which is either an expression of the fact that people are full of crap and they think he has an ego, or it just speaks to his amazing talent. Yeah. Because if he does have an ego, he definitely knows how to be a professional. Yeah. Not only talent. It's a, it's a weird. Yeah, I've never understood the amount of projection that goes... I mean, I, I understand it. I see how it works. But the way that people project, the whole point of, of actors is that we can, you know, we, we experience them as our avatars. We can be but we yeah, can yeah. root for there them. There are audience and the avatar and the, yeah. Yeah, but then people saying, oh, that guy's stuck up. It's like, how? where do you make those decisions? And why does it even matter? What is it, why does it enter into something? It's just this this whole... Yeah, it's, all the it's shots so right, irrelevant. Yeah, and, and the way it becomes toxic and how... You know, the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie thing happened last month and people were gleeful about it. And it's like, it's what? still a family breaking up. I don't see the point of... Yeah, there's nothing great about yeah, the it. Oh, yeah, Jennifer finally gets her revenge. Yeah. What? And why are we still thinking about that? 20 years later? Exactly. Whatever, give me a break. But yeah, there's is... some strange... Well, the, the, the industry itself it, is strange. Sure. I think it's... I think some of the beauty is born out of the strange. But then it also, you know, if, for every yin, there's a yang, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I so another movie that that intrigued me that was almost on my that I almost threw at you was Donnie Darko. Do you? Okay, yeah, sure. Do you remember that? Yes. Movie. It's a, a way back, but it's in a similar kind of off kilter and offbeat, and there's a uniqueness to it that I was intoxicated by. And uh, and I'm wondering now that I've got what I feel like is your expertise in front of me. Is <laughs> there's got to be? I think there's some Seven Psychopaths and the Donnie Darko. World, mm. there were some similarities to me, to me in the, in the experience. Yeah, I'll well, say. that's interesting. I mean, they're both sort of stylized narratives that depend on the viewer to understand what's going on inside them, right? I mean, they're analytical movies, even though they don't think they are, or they don't present themselves that way. Yeah. So maybe that's it. It's just the way you feel watching them is similar, because you're. But this, yeah, there's something. Into, I think there's something about the the. I, 
Well, we're going to start getting deeper. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> for me, everything in life matters. that matters is based on connection. Mm-hmm. So in my relationship with my wife, I work on the connection I have as a husband and wife. And the connection to my kids is as a father and a son and how to be the best and most connected and present I can be. So Seven Psychopaths, their performances and the story and the, 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 the narrative, like, it was so easy to connect so completely and go fully on their ride that that's what was engaging about it and that's why I think I sat there with such presence versus just spoon feed me. Right, so you've plugged right in. Yeah, being plugged in. I want to be plugged into. Uh, this might sound a little flaky. Or hey, I'm West Coast. I'm Vancouver. What can I say? But um, being plugged in and being connected is what matters most. So, Donnie Darko. Something about that movie. I was completely present and plugged in mm-hmm. to that hole from from the start of the film to the end of the film and beyond. Because if I keep talking about it afterwards, there's still some connection. Some level of being plugged into it and that's what Seven Psychopaths I've never fully unplugged from it whereas a ton of movies that I've watched I've enjoyed with exquisite joy and then unplug completely and it doesn't happen or I don't plug in in a way that makes me challenges me or, or causes me to like matrix ask questions and dive into some rhetoric after sure. the fact I go for the ride and I enjoy it and then I'm out and that level of connection and plug in and let's say on a scale of 1 to 10 can be anywhere if I still enjoy it, it can still be a, you know, people say it. And anyway, Donnie Darko and Seven Psychopaths, and I don't, why they, don't know why they came up, but the plug-in was a 10 out of 10, and it stayed. Interesting. Well, for me, the experience of Donnie Darko was so, was so laden with dread. Like, it's just such a, it's a film that is constantly telling you something terrible is coming. And it is. Like, that's the narrative. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. And it's got that weird... Uh, button hook with the last temptation of Christ about how you know the whole point of it is to my mind is at least in the theatrical cut because I refuse to acknowledge the director's cut it, just, <laughs> it makes everything worse uh, it mucks up the, the the theory and the time travel yeah yeah the the theatrical cut the two hour version of Dunny Darko is this really fascinating passion story about a kid who saves the world or at least his town by choosing to die. whether he knows he's doing it or not whether there's a control mechanism or not whatever else is going on in the world that's how I connect to it It's it's a martyrdom story but it's a really moving weird one and to the point where it gets fuzzy logically I feel like I failed the movie rather than the other way around because it seems to know what it's doing so clearly. Right. Yes. Then you get to the theatrical, the, the then you get to the director's cut and it's like, oh, I see, you were actually made your movie better by yanking stuff out of it that now complicates my interpretation of it so I refuse to accept it. Right, which may be the difference of, eh, yeah, it's cool yeah. you say that. I think, it's, I think it's the the sense of confidence that the movie has that it knows what it's doing and then if... Which allows you to be confident with it. It's like yeah. anything. Uh you know, when I, when I played pro sports, it, when we when the team was confident, or our captain was confident, our coach was confident, that confidence is infectious. It's contagious. Sure. Infectious sounds negative. It's contagious, which maybe could be negative. But um, and and if everyone buys in, then it there's a success. Yeah. That can be had, and that's I think exactly what you said with Donnie Darko. It was confident in its storytelling in the theatrical release, and you go for that. And if you don't feel something, you feel like you have to look deeper or you have to figure out where it is that you don't understand mm-hmm. what went on. 
Seven Psychopaths works the same way. It just starts off with such authority in that prologue that says, look, you know, this is where we're going. You don't have to come, but this is where the movie yeah. is going. If you're coming on the right, here's the jumping yeah. off point. I mean, you can say, like, the Transformers movies are confident, but they're garbage. I don't care for ten seconds of any of those. Yeah, but, yeah, it's pop. Yeah, I mean, but there's, I mean, there's good pop, there's bad pop, but, but there's right. this sense that, like, in those movies, they are so clearly not for me. Like, they don't care about my experience. That sounds dumb, because no movie can care about the audience, but... You know, like it's an, it's all, no, it's I know what you're saying. I know where you're going. Work, I think that, right? Yeah, yeah. But with things like Donnie Darko, definitely with McDonough's films, they depend on an engaged audience. He needs you to pay attention. He needs. And you I think to care. that's what makes me. That's what draws me to them. I, I think there's a place for Transformers. I mean, yeah. obviously. <laughs> well, but obviously there is. It makes a lot of money and stuff. Sure. And, and I think a lot of people sometimes totally want to check out. Yeah. And it's, not plug in at all. I mean, as I said, connections. I'm all about that. Yeah. But I'll sit through a completely brain dead. You know, go for a ride movie that has zero to say, right. and it's just all effects or action or because life isn't easy. Sure. And there's got to be times when I mean, why is that's why we go have a beer now again with our friends to just check out. Yeah, but you're still having a conversation, right? Like you're enjoying yeah, versus just yelling at each other. Yeah, ah! I mean that's that's fun too. About two yeah, hours I mean, in, that gets there. It's better if there's a hockey game in front of you. Like, yeah, exactly. But then, like, that's the communal interaction. It, uh, the experience of being in a bar with your friends, and even being in a bar alone, you're still part of it in a weird way. You're yes, like a cell in an yeah. organism. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the, the, the type of entertainment, I find myself now, like, gravitating to movies that at least want, like, they don't want me to turn off my entire brain, or they're, they're performed, or they're constructed with some kind of wit and intelligence. Um, I'm trying to think of the last, last big mass market. Like, I just saw Doctor Strange, which is oh, yeah. ridiculously in intelligent in its entertainment, uh, in a way that few Marvel movies have been, which actually gives you hope for the whole enterprise. It's <laughs> yeah. like they've, it, it basically exists without any of the other films. It's not weighed down by the baggage. You don't have to know what S.H.I.E.L.D. is or what this is or what the piece fits. And you can just watch an origin story that is kind of fun and inventive. Plus, I have never liked anything the director has made, so this was a really nice surprise. Uh, Scott Derrickson, the guy who made The Exorcism of Emily Rose and oh, yeah, yeah, Deliver yeah. Us from Evil, they're fine, but they're they're just not for me. They're not the kind of movie that I enjoy. Yeah, no. And this is a film that plays with, well, he has power over time and space, so let's play with space and time as action sequence motivators. Let's do something different. And that plus the character work that they do, it's there's a moment. That's Cumberbatch. Where, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. But there's a moment where Tilda Swinton just says, "Great," I think, or um, "Great" or "Grand" or something, and she just follows it with this incredibly funny smile that says so much about her character and how weird and awkward this entire movie is. It's just like, I'm in. You got me. Where, where are we going to go? Wow, cool. Um, and you know, I'm, I've got this giant poster of Star Trek Beyond in my eyeline. That was a that was the the most um, rewarding feeling this summer was realizing that someone had made a two-hour episode of the original series with the scale with the intelligence and that you know it I, was I it was a two-hour episode it's what it's what i didn't know i needed because we've been spending all this time on the grandeur of the series and the first two films are so rooted in the wrath of khan trilogy thing and they're not bad i love them all but they're the, all great but i love the direction these went yeah it's this like one hey remember we have individuals like these are this is a story about a bunch of people who are a crew let's right. follow and that we get to, we get to have separate experiences yeah. with Simon Pegg penned it too yeah. which is I don't know and I've, oh, I I've trust him implicitly now at this point yeah, yeah right and I don't know how much was collaborative or how much he went you know we got to get back to this the core of what works for this legacy legendary franchise mm -hmm. 
because I feel like they've gone the direction that they're going is in the right vein of what the hopefully the next installment yeah well the, I mean be. two two Which and a half years ago with Chris Hemsworth yeah bring him back time travel they do it all the time that's fine with me maybe it'll be a hologram I don't know yeah, <laughs> they got those two um, the the idea though with Star Trek is that 50 years in you can go anywhere you can still take the series in a new direction and in this case you do it by going in an old direction I just you know uh, uh, the, the films that that speaks to its universal um, appeal yeah and the malleability that we, yeah. we're willing to go wherever it wants to go I mean with Peg you know he's already written three films with Edgar Wright that are rooted you know they, they're steeped in the past uh, Shaun of the Dead is all about horror movies and romantic comedies how many little easter eggs are in that thing uh, eh? oh my goodness it is like, it's still my favorite of, of anything they've done together or separately it's just such a perfect I movie. love Simon Pegg I think he's he's brilliant I mean he's extremely funny but he's also brilliant mm. yeah he's um, he's like sort of the nerd godhead at this point he's, he's yeah. you know functioning in all of these franchises as our representative yeah, yeah. Um, and making us feel like I've, I've said this a couple of times about Star Trek this year it was the original it gets better I think you know like in the 60s when everything was jockey and military and it showed the bookish kids that there was a way forward that maybe right. we were going to be okay and yeah. valued in the future uh, it mattered in the 70s when I was a kid growing. well when this came up too there's inclusion uh, for everybody like you said the book but everywhere there's no cultural boundaries I mean we're going to whole other worlds with other races and species and yeah humanity's already gotten past the petty stuff yeah by the time we catch up to it which is wonderful I mean how beautiful is that as a universal concept to yeah. engage in be real nice <laughs> could be you know it's this pretty, is, this is going to drop the day of the US election so it would be really nice if humanity could get over <laughs> its petty bigotry by then yeah I don't want to get into that. That's a, that's a yeah. Yeah, it'll be over by the time most people hear this. I hope, uh, or, or all of civilization will have ended. <laughs> or who can say? <laughs> you know, the other thing that people forget about the Star Trek movies, and we talked about this on the in Hugh Gibson's episode, is that this is a you know, this is a future that's already suffered wars, and you know, like there's the eugenics wars that they talked about in the TV series and the World War Three that they sort of mentioned in one of the yeah. movies, and finally people are clawing their way back and still fighting amongst each other and. But you know, less. We have more priorities. We, we're, we're we're looking outward instead of inward. It for, it's less about. Series. I think the, uh, the the fighting though is about moving forward than it is about holding on to pasts or or rooting in silly, petty, simple things. It's more about fighting about how to move forward together. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Can I tell you what the other movie was that I was gonna maybe throw at you? Sure. Yeah. And it's because it was the, for me, the beginning of my uh, interest in. I'd say sci-fi to an extent, but it was Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah, no one's picked Blade Runner yet, actually. It's, Is that right? Yeah, I've done like ninety of these. Oh wow! Yeah. Dang it! I should have picked. Blade Runner. <laughs> the, the the show breaks down really simply. People pick formative films, things that they've loved all their lives. Or they pick the last thing they saw that really blew them away. Right. And I think that works too. Like you know, it, Well, formatives for me would have been like Breakfast Club. And, yeah. you know, but I, I wanted to... That's before I was an actor. Like okay. Breakfast Club, I wasn't an actor at the time, but I knew... like. Did you know you wanted it? Did you... Like, did I know I wanted to be an actor? Did you feel that trajectory already? Yeah. I Performance for sure. I mean, being a pro athlete, there was a performance element to it. Sure. But there's something else always back burner niggling at my brain about the performance but not sports it's something else and it was 
I tried comedy with my brother, and uh, thank God he's funny. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then it was, you know, acting. It had to be. It's funny to find it now. I look, but there's nothing else on the planet I want to do. And looking back at it, it was weird that I had to f- find it through the path I did. Because I... It is the one true passion, job-wise, career-wise, that I can't deny. Like, uh, people say, what's your dream jobs? Name your top three dream jobs. I'm like, actor, actor, actor. You know, there's... Because I get to be anything and everything any time I... Every day on set's a great day. That's my motto. I've probably said it 20 times today, but (laughs) but it is... That is just true. Anytime I'm around, there's something to learn. There's an experience happening, and I see it as a gift. And storytelling. You know, tapping into universal truths. I like going to class. I now teach an audition class, so... And I take some of the scene study classes, some of the, the classes that I've taken, and try and inject them into audition class, which isn't... I mean, it's a lot deeper than you get normally in an audition class, but I think it's the the core reason of why you should do what you do, why you should audition is because you want to tap into a universal truth and tell a story in the most honest and connected way you can to take others on a journey. Mm-hmm. So, there so you go. Was, but was that always, is that the, is that how you've evolved to look at your, at your drive now? I mean, is that, was that always the reason? As an actor, like to be yeah. An actor. Did, did you discover? Is that what you loved about acting? Was it always what you loved? The exploration, yeah. yeah. The the absolutely. I love acting because of the self exploration, but also the connection to the greater whole, mm-hmm. the, the the greater good, I guess. Because if I have to tell a story with where there's sadness, if I don't truthfully connect to that universal concept of sadness, why would you come with me? Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not going to come with me unless I'm truly somewhere that has like we all know when somebody's bullshitting yep yeah. <laughs> right absolutely yeah and you and you, we've watched it we've watched it like oh man I'm not buying it mm-hmm. you know I'm not and that, I mean it's it's hard nobody's there all the time that's that, that would be but that's the job you want to aspire to be there as fully and completely as you can every opportunity you have yeah. that's why you study and keep practicing at the one. but that's that's the goal and that's the that's the passion I have is to be able to connect to those universal truths and tell stories in a way that engages others and so that they enjoy that time spent watching. Right. And with something like this where you're under all of this makeup and creating a different physicality for yourself, do you find it easier or harder to access those parts because of the disguise that you've built? I, it's, I think it's a totally different skill set. And, you know, I wasn't a big role at all in this film, but that doesn't change the process or approach. You bring whatever you're going to do to its fullest and you do whatever. So I know that when I, when I wound up interacting with Idris Elba on there, it wasn't like getting caught off guard or, oh crap. Cause it did kind of happen somewhat organically. Cause he's so, his process is so amazing that he just wants everything available to find out where he's going to go. Mm-hmm. It didn't script that he comes over and, and does this and then does that and then it's like he enters and here's the dialogue and but what he does with that, that's what's so phenomenal is me hiding behind the makeup to watch this artist do his thing is like how do I sponge and learn and what can I learn from this genius? Yeah. Um, Del Toro told me once that he never he was 
he had one long conversation with Elva early in the making of Pacific Rim where it's like, okay, this is a great speech, but I'm probably not going to do all of it, so don't freak out. And he said it was, Del Toro said, it was great because I wasn't worried anymore. I wasn't worried that he'd miss a line or anything. He would just get there whenever and we would use what what we got. And then Elba said to me in a separate interview, he said, look, I can't see what I'm doing. I rely on the director to tell me if I'm close, which is like the single smartest thing any actor has ever told me. Or ever said to to my knowledge because it means he's there. Yeah, he he's not separate and watching. He's not self directing. He's there, yeah. and then he comes back out and goes, "Did we? Yeah, because I was fully engaged. I was fully there." It's so weird that no one approaches. No one else seems to approach it that way. Um, like this total, as though he's sort of able to articulate the disconnect that he can create within himself to be someone else for a little window of time. Get, there's no ego left. There's no judgment. There's no self dialogue or self direction. Mm. There's just the doing, and it's the. I feel like it would come from the homework, like you do all that beforehand. So when you get there, you can throw it all away, right? And be, because you have to be. Yeah. You can't do. Doing doesn't tell the story. It's the. You are being. Yeah. You're. you're yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, so when he's doing his thing, if I hadn't done my homework and we had to walk, and I knew that I felt like I had to protect everybody because I was the biggest, and that, you know, then. When he approached me, it might not have happened, and he might not have decided to give me a smack in the head and put me back in my place. It might not have become what it became and given me that moment and that experience. So I can say, I had a really great time on the set, regardless of how big or small the role was. I did my work. Idris was a genius. It, it, our paths got to cross, and it ended up with a smack in the head, whatever. Um, <laughs> But it was a moment for me to go, hey, you know what? This proves to me that no matter what I'm doing, I fully engage, I fully do my job, I fully do my homework, and be grateful for it. And that might be extremely Canadian of me, but I never, <laughs> I never want to lose that because that I feel is the drive and, and, and fuel for the passion. Yeah, is to be grateful. Because if if I stop being grateful, then don't do it. Because there's a billion people who want to and might do it better if they're engaged with full passion to do it right well to tap minute, into that universal truth yeah the minute you tip over into entitlement oh i mean that I word say you're no good to anyone me. as a canadian but in general yeah that word makes me twitch because i feel like the youth have stumbled into a level of entitlement mm. that makes me sound like an old man well the world's always been there the way they think it's always been there right like it's every generation thinks they invented sex <laughs> and rebellion <laughs> and punk and all of that and it's like guys come on you just get there eventually. But if I can lump you in with me, our generation, there was an element of working hard and earning. Uh, you had to earn what you wanted. You had to work for it. You had to. And I feel like there's a lot of, well, I, I'm here, so I should just get yeah. type attitude. And I don't want to get too far into that. Whole well, no, world, I, it's funny that you mentioned I have that. kids, so I'm conscious of this yeah, now. Exactly. No, otherwise, normally, I'd be like, yeah, whatever that Marinette, that guy might be a douchebag just because he's a, you know, but now I'm trying to make sure there's a, I'm instilling in my kids. My dad, did a great job in instilling. He was a workaholic, so I don't really want to go that far because he just, he was a powerhouse, a phenomenal, is, he's not, he's still with us, but he, he's a phenomenal man and just an absolute powerhouse, but he's retired. And uh, he's what, he, I, I believe that he's the one who taught me, and my brother and I used to always say this to each other, no matter what, get up one more time than they knock you down, whoever they are. So whatever it is you choose to do, it's going to be a tough battle, but you have to work hard. You have to earn it. That doesn't mean you have to make it hard for yourself. I think some people go too far and make, you know, you're not allowed success unless you've suffered. Well, if you're really good at something and you work hard, you can be successful and it doesn't have to hurt. Yeah, that's a pretty good philosophy, frankly. I mean, enjoy what you're doing and just don't stop. Yeah. Those are, those are good rules. 
I don't know about the the millennial the the expanding millennial gap where the concept of I don't know what it's it's so weird because the idea I think that's like a little bit about the the Transformers movies yeah they have such an audience because there's like less attention to I'm going to go back to the word connection right you know to to feeling and earning and being present it's more like well bring it to me and I'm entitled and alright just spoon feed me that I'd love to see a Mumblecore Transformers movie. You know, like something like Cloverfield is about the characters inside the world, because then at least I would care. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not for the whole movie, but I would start by being more interested than I am in the movies that I'm seeing. That was a... Drew Goddard's... That was a neat twist. Yeah. On, on that genre. Oh, that's right. That was the other thing I, I keep forgetting. You are actually one of... You may be the first guest on the podcast who's been in a movie that's been covered on the podcast about a year oh, ago. Oh, right? Yeah, a year ago, someone picked Cabin in the Woods. No way. So technically, we're finally closing our own loop. Oh, nice. Right. This may be the first time this has happened. Yeah, it was the big bad zombie in there. Yeah. It was the main, the main Matthew Bugner. I was actually telling somebody the other day a little Easter egg from that was, if you look closely, um, my eyes are black. Mm-hmm. And everybody else in the family has cataract white eyes. And that's because I was the pure evil of the family and I killed the rest of them. Oh, nice. So they came back, but with white eyes because they were killed by my evil and Matthew Buckner's evil and his eyes are black because he is the, the start of the evil for that family. Oh. But yeah, what a phenomenal experience that was. And I, I got to actually hang out with the quirky, mad genius of, of Joss uh, Whedon a few times at craft services and whatnot. <laughs> and I was, in, I was in a zombie makeup, which was pretty weird. You know, I just see that's a set I would have loved to be on. That just seemed like the most fun. It really was. I got to talk to Goddard when he came through with it, but it's just the, again, it's a movie that tells you what kind of movie it's going to be, and then refuses to stand still and just keeps throwing more ideas at you. It's just so much fun and so odd and weird. And when I try and dumb it down in terms of like what kind of movie it is, I say it's a horror comedy, hmm. and I know that doesn't <laughs> really cover. But I love the fact that there's some levity and some and some beautiful comedic moments yeah like when the stoner character says when they're you know they're all infected by the the gas and he's like we should all go separate directions and the stoner guy because he's high he goes really you know just this is that's not, everybody in a horror dies when they, you know like yeah yeah, I mean, it's just acknowledging, like Seven Psychopaths does, that you know what kind of movie this is, yeah. and I'm still going to screw with your Unapologetically going to screw with you. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. beautiful. I was, yeah, it was fun to be a part of that, too, and that was... There were some neat experiences with that. We had to do movement workshops on how to move like a zombie. So what was the driving philosophy? What, did, what sort of zombie were they? I mean, is there... A, you know, did they break the rules down to you that specifically? Well, we had uh, one of the coaches from... Dawn of the Dead versus running zombies and fast zombies. Yeah, we talked about that. We definitely, like, when we discussed it, we discussed all the different types of, like, the classic zombie and the the 28 Days Later, fast, furious, Mm -hmm. angry, aggressive ones. The ones that Peg hates. Yeah. He's written about this. I think in The Guardian or The Independent, he wrote an essay about why fast zombies are crap. (laughs) I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, me too. I mean, he's a genius. Why, why should we? How can we? <laughs> Sorry, but you were saying, right? Uh, no, not at all. And the, it was a, there was a dance instructor who taught us the zombie note, but we got to bring it to life in our own way because the Matthew Buckner character was a huge, big farm boy, mm-hmm. and uh, so his walk was going to have... And then we started talking about ailments, like if when we died, were we buried so that one leg was twisted slightly, and so for years... 
now that we've come back and reanimated, does that nag you? And how does it nag you? Yeah. Does it plague your walker? So there's a little neat twist, just to make it not just so you're not going hey, and, and you know. Yeah, everybody has what they think a zombie is like. Yeah, and but those we got look way. Fake. You can always yeah. tell. So we got way deeper. Well, that's amazing. Zombie atrophy. I never really thought about it, but it does yeah. make sense. Yeah, and then we also had the how like because I had killed everyone. The, my younger brother in the movie, he was a little bit faster moving zombie because he was always worried about when he died. He was worried about me coming to get him type thing and then for me I was very much more stoic and slow because I was the evil right so everything I did was with purpose and control <laughs> still a zombie and they still had the element of being a zombie but mm-hmm. with stoic control it was just so again layering in it that, but that's the beauty of what I thought and hopefully brought to Wajet is it wasn't just a dude in a mask or a guy in an outfit there was a creature created and there's some thought process behind it so that if you do wind up on camera with Idris Elba you're not going oh my god I'm a dude in a mask I don't know what's going on you know yeah. I don't know <laughs> although that would be a great scene <laughs> I'd do anything with Idris he Elba he comes right? at you bellowing in the alien yeah. language and you're just like hey uh, uh, yeah big security guard aliens, uh, aliens must have red shirts the, the same principle has to apply yeah, you're going to die <laughs> oh. um, we did have a there, there was some background aliens and their makeups weren't as intense or long they're more you know slip on but right, you've got like a hero head where they built the whole thing yeah yeah there's like six I think different pieces to it and like I said it took five hours which yeah yeah, yeah. and then an hour and a half to get out get it out um, but some of the background ones that you know they hadn't been told or given the opportunity to know that they could play so they were kind of just walking and you're like, you have a giant fish head on your head. Yeah. You got to look in the mirror and, and see what that does to you mm-hmm. after you get over the awe of how amazing it looks. What does that do to you? And then start anything that comes to you, just let it be anything but human. Because if you look in the mirror, you're not human. Yeah. And even that subtle, and there's some great people on set and, and no, not knocking the extras, the fact that they would put on the makeup and it was hot and, you know, long days. But it came around and I said, okay, I need you to, you know, give me something different stuff. Because we're in that big, long prison line walking down. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to have it like human, 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 human with a weird head, human with a weird... You know, it had right. to be alien and, and different and unique. So they worked on all the details. And that's the beauty of a huge nine-budget or nine-figure nine uh, budget movie is that they're doing one, one and a half, maybe two pages a day. So you can find all those little tidbits and, and fine-tune the details. Yeah. So yeah. that... It's all world building, right? Like it all matters. I even, think so. Even the detail of what kind of like, to bring it back to Seven Psychopaths for a second. Even the detail of what kind of a dog is being stolen. Yeah, the, like that Shih Tzu is a runner. It becomes a running gag. Shih Tzu. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the and fun- it gives it like Rockwell the way he says it too. That's yeah. the beauty of character is that. Oh my God, Rockwell, man. Yeah. Like I know he chose. I, I don't think he specifically consciously went. I'm going to say it this way, but from the work and beauty of his instrument as an artist that's what comes out yeah I, I think he his decisions are I'm pretty sure he does more work than he admits 
Because he has to. You would have to. You can't be that. Or it's innate. Like, you know, like, yeah. he does the work without consciously knowing he's doing the work, yeah. if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, maybe. Just the way the dialogue reads, by the time he's on set saying it, he's gone over it enough times that he's built the rhythms of it. Because there's a subconscious processing of the world yeah. and the script and the character and his innate, amazing instrument yeah. that um, comes to life on the day. Yeah, Walken like, famously underlines different words randomly and then sees how that plays uh, in a script. Which I've, I've also heard that he, I believe it's... Christopher Walken blacks out the other people's dialogue. Oh, I could see that. Or has it blacked out before it's brought to him so he doesn't know what they're going to say or when, or when they're finished. So he'll just respond. So he moment. responds more naturally, more realistically, um, which is an interesting tool. And that's the thing about working with or hearing about other actors' processes. Like, would that work for me? Could that enhance my process and my end product if I do that as well yeah. I find him very difficult when I try that I would think yeah I mean, but he does it if it is Christopher Walken and I apologize if but it if is. it's what you're used to by that point I mean by the time you're on set with people you've probably figured it out in your own head how it's going to go yeah. like in terms of how you can deliver and where but the idea yeah just walking in blind and not knowing oh I'd be terrified but it forces listening right like sure. a, a huge part of acting is listening and for him to not know what they're going to say forces him to listen intently mm-hmm. and that will make you a better actor immediately yeah you know listening is is crucial it's essential yeah I mean you can always you can always tell I, I find you can always tell when someone is waiting to talk and you can always the bullshit meter yeah but you can also always tell when a movie has had to cut around when a director or an editor have had to cut around someone who wasn't giving back yeah like you cut to weird, them and like yeah, checked out or, you can see it sometimes and it's really bizarre when that looms up about you know, the eyelines might be matching or not matching, but the commitment or the connection is just not there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's But that's the intoxicating, the euphoric drug I love when I act is to be in a scene with somebody that you're so, you fall right into them. You go right through the windows of their soul, into their eyes, and you and you disappear into that scene. And you can't help but you're present. And it's it's there and it's happening and then cut. And then, I don't know, at the end of that, that's like the drug rush. That's... There's a euphoric state that happens for me on, on those days. Yeah. And I've worked with some... It, it might be funny for people to hear this name as a, because she was in such an iconic kind of pop show of 90210. Mm-hmm. But I just got to be a lead in a movie with Jenny Garth. Okay. And she would jokingly say, Oh my God, I've got to st- I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I don't want to act anymore. And jokingly, because she's so great. She's so gifted. But between action and cut such an amazing experience for me really? to work with her so present yeah just and it's happened a lot but that was the most recent one that I can think of where I'm just like and we were our, our characters were getting divorced so there's a whole bunch going on in that you wouldn't honor the whole story if you didn't connect because there's a whole world going on underneath sure you're talking to each other that story alone right these characters have history there's a history that you can't deny and if you're not looking anyway she was wonderful wonderful to work with so connected so present that it was it was that euphoric drug at the end of the day I go home and it was a movie of the week you know people people sometimes don't give them the credit they deserve but I would drive home and kind of have that half smile on my face like that that was really fun that's why I do this is to have these moments and this feeling this kind of euphoric rush from from connecting to somebody and that's I guess you know what we're going all around first the connection back mm-hmm. to connection plugging in plugging into somebody else or an emotion or into an emotion through somebody else 
Yeah, pretty awesome. No, that's so great. I'm glad that it's. I'm glad that you can like feel that as 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 vividly now. I assume as you did when you started. But that there's a sense of you know entertaining joy that you're you're into it. It's well, even more so because I think I'm learning better how to play my instrument instrument, and that that's allowing me to find it more. I might have missed out. I might have been the blank slate on somebody else's other side of theirs because I wasn't aware of my instrument enough to connect, or I didn't have a, like I, if I didn't have a and into that scene I, I maybe wasn't as present and connected for them okay so I think it's even more so now because as much as that's fun for me to see in somebody else I want to be that for other people there's two sides there's two people in, or more in every scene yeah it does sort of bring us to the last question uh, of, the, of, the, of the show which is always the same which is what of Seven Psychopaths have you borrowed or stolen or, or incorporated into your own DNA as a performer well, in watching their performances, they're an extremely brilliant example of n- no ego and no judgment. To deliver what they delivered in the unique world and the quirky kind of uh, off-kilter, morally ambiguous at times world, they, they, there's, there's unapologetic commitment mm. to the character and the story to a level where, it's, where you're no longer present. And I think it's an I think it's paying tribute to, for me, the first time I watched it, Sam Rockwell, and his ability to become completely. And we talk about whether it's innate or how much work he says he does or doesn't do. Yeah. But I believe wholeheartedly in Sam Rockwell's character and where he's at, and his state, frame of mind, his mental state, and his choices. I don't feel like he's making choices because they're cool or because they serve something. It's because that's that character's alive in front of me on screen and I'm watching it and to do so you have to be devoid of ego like self there's no judgment there's no self-direction it's completely present doing or being rather than doing I mean you can have a doing you can be tying your shoe or carrying a dog or petting it that's a doing but the being is based on all of the work and all the workings and goings on and the history and the story that you've done all that homework and then you've let it go so that you can just be and ideally, someone will have given you that kind of dialogue. You know? And ideally, you have that phenomenal dialogue to play with. You'll have Martin McDonough behind you, poking you. Wouldn't that be a dream? <laughs> From your lips to the universe and right back to you. That is how podcasts work. Cool. See what happens. Cool. My thanks to Dan Payne, whom you can see under all that makeup in Star Trek Beyond, on Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand right now from Paramount Home Entertainment. Thanks also to Stephen Shin... He knows what he did. You can find Dan on Twitter at ActorDanPayne, all one word, and you can find Seven Psychopaths on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment and for sale or rental on iTunes and Google Play. Check it out. Oh, and look for my TIFF interview with Sam Rockwell and Christopher Walken at NowToronto.com. I'll retweet it out of the Semcast account. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at the aforementioned Semcast, S-E-M-Cast and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is, I set the car on fire. Thanks for listening.